Welcome to The Prosper Project, the show that helps entrepreneurs build brands that impact the world and the bottom line. We know that success doesn't come in a one-size-fits-all package. That's why we're bringing you adaptable marketing strategies along with valuable insights from inspiring changemakers, firebrands, and visionaries. I'm Lorraine Sugart, founder of the disruptive brand agency, Prosper for Purpose. Now for this week's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Prosper Project. I'm really excited to talk with my guest today. It is Byron Wolf, and Byron has a gift for translating the complexities of business financial principles with a focus on small businesses so that we can easily understand the communications and the literacy, as I like to think of it, of the financial landscape of our businesses. His ability to take these complex ideas and turn them into communications that are easy to understand for the average business owner have made him one of the most highly sought after financial and business consultants. Byron is the founder of CFO AF, and we all know what that means, a financial services and business consulting firm specializing in industries ranging from construction to crypto. He is the chief financial officer for an Inc. 5000 company and is the fractional CFO of various companies with annual revenues in the three to 25 million range. But don't worry because he has lots of insight for those of us not at that level. So before we go any further, I want to welcome Byron and invite him into this conversation. Byron, how are you today? Doing great. Thank you for having me. That was a great introduction. Probably makes me sound better than I am, but I I love it. So you and I were talking about what really inspires you before we started recording. Can you kind of talk about that, like your purpose in becoming a consulting CFO and some of the things that you're working hard to communicate in a way that is accessible to entrepreneurs that don't have a financial background? Yeah, yeah, of course. So like I mentioned, I kind of fell into this on accident. And so, you know, I get this question that like, what drew you to to fractional CFO or what drew you into this accounting and tax and bookkeeping work? And I had always loved business. I've been a horrible employee my whole entire life. So the only person that probably wouldn't fire me is myself or my wife. I've been an entrepreneur. I've loved living in this space. And the numbers have always came really easy for me. You know, I grew up in an accounting world. My mom was a CPA. I've got a lot of relatives that are accountant CPAs. So I've been around it for a long time. I'm one of those silly math nerds that people make fun of. I am a, a huge nerd, but you know, it, it was easy. And and so that part was pretty easy for me. And I would reach out to other people. I'd say, hey, you know, what is this marketing thing? How does this work? Like, hey, can you show me how you get these sales done? How are you so good in this area? And so I was reaching out to other people. And then they in turn would be like, hey, it looks like you've got your money to get. Like, you know what you're doing in this. Can you show me? And so being good at it, I'm just like, you know, well, it's simple. You just got to do this, this, and this, and it's super easy, you know? And then they would just kind of nod, blank stare, uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> and then move on. So I figured out that I had to be able to break this down a little bit more simply and put it in terms that they would understand. And so I actually, I just had a conversation this morning with a guy in the gym. His son just took a job as his first CFO position. It was a controller and an accountant before that. 
And he said, he's struggling with getting used to the industry, change industries. And I told him, I said, the reality is the industry doesn't really matter. We all have the same problems and we just need to figure out how they relate to solve those problems. So tell them to stop focusing so much on finding the right answer for the industry, find the right answer for his position, find the right answer for the accounting, right answer for the financing, the right answer for the cash flow. You know, and he's like, yeah, like I didn't think about that. But everybody that's listening, I'm sure you guys have your area of expertise. And what is simple to you, I promise you, is not simple to other people. And so embrace your area of expertise, but like try to become knowledgeable in the other areas and where you're not, or you really struggle, like seek out the help because you may say, Hey, I can't afford this, but I promise you your area of expertise is somebody else's need. And you can exchange this. And this is really probably the reason I was able to find success is I was able to exchange my skill set, my area of expertise for somebody else's. And that allowed me to really build up. So your network really is insanely important. You can't do it alone. So I would say to anybody that's listening or is listening later on to like the recording, like, embrace that network and give yourself credit for your area of expertise because what you're an expert out may be simple for you, but it's not simple for everybody else. That's such great advice. I love that. And that's true. I think any entrepreneur has probably been in that position where they think to themselves, well, this isn't really special. Everybody knows this, but not everybody does. People say, I don't even look at my finances. And I'm like, oh my God, that's awful. Not that I'm great in that area because I'm not, not my area of expertise, but I at least know enough. What would you say to entrepreneurs that either aren't looking regularly at their financials or are struggling with what to make sense of them? Or sometimes there's that middle ground of, you know, I have a bookkeeper and so I don't think about it. There's numbers that we as business owners should always be aware of. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, of course. So one of the phrases that I hear all the time and I hate to hear it, but I hear it so often. People say, well, I just look at my bank account and if I have money, I'm doing well. I was like, oh, you know, yes, I'm glad you have money in your account, but it, it's at least a little bit more complex than that, right? So I would say, like, let's focus on the big areas. So if you look at your finances, you're really going to break down into three key areas. So revenue, you know, what you make, and that's your sales, that's your marketing, you know, anything that generates sales, generates clients, generates customers, and closes them so that they give you money. The next thing would be profit. So profit is the very bottom of your profit and loss statement. It's, I made this many dollars. I spent this many dollars. What I have left over is my profit. So, you know, you should know what your profit is. What are you profiting in your business? Because in reverse, you'll know, okay, I'm spending this. And so if we know revenues, this, we know how much we're taking home. We know how much our profit is. Then, you know, by doing the math, we know what we spent. So if you want more profit, you either need to generate more sales and keep your expenses the same, or you need to minimize those expenses and then you get to keep more money. The last piece, and this is a piece that is complicated, but I think it's highly important for people to know, is cash flow. So cash flow is the timing of money. 
So it's the timing of when the money comes in and the timing of when the money goes out. And so I've seen multiple companies, multiple businesses. I go in, I look at it and they say, yeah, we're just, we're always behind. Like we do really well. You know, our revenue's great. Like our profit margin's good. We're making money, but you know, like I never have money in my account. And so we look at it and we're like, well, I see that you're being a good steward of your money. And every time you get an invoice or you get a bill, you're paying it. You're paying it immediately, even when you have, say, net 30. But your customers, your clients, they don't like to pay you this fast, right? And so you've got multiple clients and customers that aren't paying you for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. That's that timing. If you're incurring those expenses, you need to collect the money that relates to that so that the timing is good. We had a client, we went in, we're sitting down with, you know, big, had a lot of customers, a lot of clients. And one of the questions we ask is like, okay, you know, let's look at your client list. Like, who's your biggest client? Who's your biggest customer? And so the reason we ask that, and I'll, I'll kind of diverge, reason we ask that is anybody that is, say, 20% or more, that's a huge red flag. We need to really look at that, you know, who is that customer? What's our risks? Like, if they rolled out, how would we respond? So, you know, you want to be really careful if you've got one client customer that's more than 20%. So anyway, so we asked, you know, who's your best customer? Who's your best client? And he said, this person is. So, okay, you know, awesome. What do they make up? Oh, you know, I mean, it's a lot. And it was like 25%. So we're looking at it and I'm like, you know, man, you've got a lot of like outstanding bills with this guy. Like there's a lot of invoices that he has not paid. And he's like, oh yeah, you know, like, you know, he just, he'll get a lot of money and then he'll get caught up and then, you know, it'll go a while. And so I'm looking at it and we ran his average and this guy was like 90 something days was his average to pay these invoices. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I'm like, you know, I said, what do you like, you know, how do you feel about that? And he's like, well, you know, I mean, it is what it is. It's just the industry. You know, if I want to keep them, that's what I got to do. And I said, okay. I said, well, what's this debt? And I knew what it was. What's this debt over here? You know, oh, well, that's just, you know, that's cash flow. Like, I just have that just so I can make sure my payroll gets covered and all my bills go out on time, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. So, you on average are paying your bills within a week, roughly five days, but you have multiple customers, multiple clients that are 60, 90 day plus, and you are incurring expenses with this loan to pay the bills that your clients and your customers should be paying. How do you feel about that? Well, not very good. Maybe they should be paying your interest, you know? So we looked at it and we said, look, let's figure out a way so that we can get paid faster. I say, and maybe you're going to have to penalize this guy. Maybe that's a hard discussion, but in reality, this guy is probably your worst customer that you think is your best customer. I get it. He gives you a lot of money, but he also forces you into debt that's affecting your profitability. And he stresses you out. Because you have to send him invoices regularly. You're making excuses for him. You need to be more on top of these things. So, you know, I think revenue is huge. How much money are we bringing in? I think profit even more important because it's how much we're actually keeping. So profit's huge, like how much money we're taking home. And then cash flow, because cash flow is the lifeblood or the breath, the oxygen of your business. And if you don't have good cash flow, honestly, your revenue and your profit don't matter. Because if you can't cover payroll, your employees don't show up for work the next day. If you can't cover your bills, if you can't cover your electricity, your lights, your water, your, you know, like, then things get cut off and that's going to really hurt business. So I would say in order, cash flow is most important, very complicated. I get it. Then profit and then revenue, which I know is 
backwards from what a lot of people teach, but I have reasons for that. And I think that it makes sense to be in that order. Yeah, I think revenue is heralded as the king of business. And I've never really understood that because there's people whose revenue is over a million dollars, but their profit is less than someone who makes half that much. And so when we're worshiping revenue, I think we've got it upside down. And that's certainly a position I've heard you take as well. Yeah, 100%. You know, I tell people all the time, like revenue is your bragging. It's, hey, look at me. And profit is your real reward. Like that's your gold at the end of the rainbow. If people have that mindset, and and the other thing I'll ask, when people are really focused on revenue, I say, okay, well, let's just pretend that your expenses are work. So revenue is what you make. The expenses come out of that. Profit's what's left over. So if you could make a million dollars in revenue and you're going to take $100,000, 10% profit margin, you know, that's not bad. That's pretty good. 100K, feel pretty good about that. So what if you only made 500,000 in revenue, but you took home the same 100,000 and keep in mind, we just said the middle part, the expenses are work. So if 500,000 still gets you 100,000, we cut our revenue in half, which means we're doing half the work for the same amount of money. How do you feel about that? And you're like, well, well, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I put 68 hours a week into this. Like, it's my passion. It's my baby. You know, I love it. I don't count the hours because I'm doing what I love. Like all these things we tell ourselves, right? But like, we all know our life would be better if we could work less and make more money, right? Mm -hmm. And so I tend to tell people like, let's focus on your profit, even at the expense of revenue. If we can keep your profit the same, your take-home money the same, right? And bring that sales down and keep the profit the same, then now we have a great plan to increase our revenue and increase our profit. And so now you're going to do less work for more money which I don't know a single person that would argue with that. Like that that's I the, don't either. That's amazing. So my logical next question is, what are the kinds of things that you help your clients figure out so they can do that? I know you talk a lot about tax credits, so I'm guessing that's one of the answers. Is that the big one or are there other things as well? Well, there's a lot of them. I think uh, key performance indicators, a lot of people know them as KPIs or metrics. Right. I think those are huge because we need to know what is going on in our business that really moves the needle. So if we know that there are 20 things that make up our expenses, and out of those 20 things, if we know the three of those 20 are the biggest ones that move the needle. So we know if this one at the very top has the biggest impact, well, then let's focus there. Because if that has the biggest impact on your business, that KPI, that key performance indicator has the biggest movement, then that's the one that we want to try to manipulate or move, change, however you want to call it, to have the biggest impact on our bottom line. And then once we know where that one is and where it needs to be, then we move to the next one on the list and work our way down. You don't have to fix everything at one time. You can fix one little thing see how it affects you, and then move on to the next and start making these adjustments. The reason tax credits are so important is because that's generally our biggest hit to the money we take home. You know, in that same scenario, the 100K that you take home, the government doesn't care if you make a million dollars or half a million dollars in revenue. They just care what you take home. What shows up on your taxes when it says, I made $100,000. 
Well, then the IRS is right there with their handout. Hey, give them a 30, 40%, you know, whatever tax rate you're at, right? Right. Yeah. So if we can use the tax credits or we can use tax strategy to still make $100,000, but maybe the bottom line that we're getting taxed on is reduced down to say maybe 20,000, right? And the government says, okay, well, I need my share of 20,000. And your rate's going to be less, the less you make the rate, you know, the rate smaller. But even at the same rate, if the government is taking their percentage of 20,000 versus their percentage of 100,000, that number gets smaller. So it does have an impact on your business, but more than the impact it has on your business, it has an impact on your quality of life. The amount of money that you have left over to do the fun stuff, the family things, the things that you love to do, the vacations, the charity work that you're involved in, this money allows you to pursue those really great, really awesome things. And then having that tax plan around it, some of that money, maybe you don't need it to live, right? So let's put it into retirement and then let's look at it. How does that affect us? Do we want it pre-tax? Do we want it post-tax? If we can afford the taxes now, maybe we should pay them. So later on when we retire, we're not paying tax on that stuff. Or maybe we need a deduction. We're like, hey, we need a deduction. Let's do it pre-tax so that we use it as a deduction. We don't get taxed on that money. And then later on when it's grown to some big number and we're in our 60s or our 70s, then, okay, we'll pay tax on it. It is what it is. It's a bigger number. I don't mind paying tax on it. So I think that having those strategies in place, and again, don't try to fix everything, right? Like that doesn't work. Let's fix one thing at a time and then start to knock those things off. And so that's the plan that we use with our clients is we find out what matters. Like what are the big movements? What are the big needle marks, right? And we essentially give them that lever that they can use to up, down, whatever they need to do, that joystick to move it around to see how it affects a business so that we know how to maximize that impact. And that allows them to start the growth process and start making more money, hopefully taking home more money because I love to focus there first. But once we're taking home the maximum, right, then we start increasing that revenue. Like that's the win. That's amazing. So Tell us a little bit about the kinds of clients that you work with and take a minute and describe kind of what a fractional CFO is and does for anyone who might not know that. Yeah, of course. So we work with clients that are not to the spot where they need a full-time CFO in the business. A lot of times what we've seen, and I've interviewed a lot of them, they say, yeah, I mean, out of my 40-hour week, I'm doing maybe five to 10 hours that are high-level CFO stuff. And the rest Mm -hmm. of it is maybe controller or bookkeeper level because they get hired in early and they like the title. So there's a lot of CFOs out there. They love the title, but they're not necessarily doing CFO work, but they don't mind. The salary's good. The title's good. It has status. Uh, but they're doing a lot of lower level stuff. So with the fractional, you get to just focus on that five to 10 hours that are the high level advisement, the high level control. And then either the people that are in the company that are in that accounting, bookkeeping tax arena, they can maximize their production because they're getting the direction from the high level advisement. If you don't have it, then we have that service. There's a lot of third-party services that do the bookkeeping or the tax stuff. And so there's a lot of different people out there that can do that. 
but you're not to a point where it makes sense to take on a 200, 300, $400,000 salary when your business doesn't really justify that expense. So if you can spend a few thousand dollars to up to, you know, we have some that are over 10,000 a month, right? But if you can spend that a month and you're still getting that high level advisement, you're still getting that direction, you still have somebody focused on pushing the needle, then that's going to win. And you're getting that high level advisement into the tax consequences and what you need to do. So many times I get, I hate tax season because generally January to April, I get all these people that are word of mouth referrals, which absolutely love these, but they're always the ones that say, Hey, looks like I'm going to get a hit with a big tax liability for last year. I'm like, well, I can help you a little bit, but man, couldn't you have called me six months ago? Like in the year, we can set your strategy and save you a ton of money. But now it's not done. Like it's like trying to fix your car after you've already wrecked it. It's tough, right? We can fix it, but it's never going to be the same. And so having that throughout the year that say, hey, like let's look at this expenditure. Let's look at this plan. Let's look at this project. How does this affect us? How does this affect cash flow? How does it affect our profitability? What's our long-term forecast? Like you said, you're very good. Your CPA says, hey, like you're great at forecasts. Being able to do that. And so I akin forecasting to realistic dreams. I like I that. that. Yeah. Because like we can look at it and we can say, okay, if I do this, then I'm going to be here. And if I do this, then I'm going to be here. So you're literally, you're dreaming about what your life is going to be, what your world is going to be in a year, two, three, four, five, 10 years down the road. But you actually have a roadmap. Because it's a forecast, right? We're not basing it on care bears and non-existent things, right? We're throwing arrows at the wall or whatever. Yes, Darts yeah. at the wall, not arrows. <laughs> yeah, throwing arrows at the dartboard. <laughs> throwing arrows at a dartboard. <laughs> there you go, there you go. I mean, it's overkill, but I like it. <laughs> but it's it's realistic. Those are real numbers. Those are real things you can do. And then you get to see that progress, which I love, right? Yeah. Everybody picks on millennials. They need immediate validation. Honestly, I love that mentality of like, hey, let's get a bunch of small wins. Let's do something cool. Let's do something that works for the business and let's celebrate it. And then let's move to the next thing. Who doesn't like low-hanging fruit, right? We do that with all of our clients too. What are the initial wins that we can have together? Everyone wants to be reassured, especially when they're investing their money with someone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's so many. And I know you guys are in Cleveland. My wife is actually from Cleveland. So it's our hometown. But like, yeah, it's a very cool city. It has a ton of opportunity because Cleveland has been basically like discounted or. Yeah, for a very long time. Yeah. Long time. And so there's all this opportunity to grow and to build businesses and build these relationships and this network. And it's all over the world. Like there's opportunity everywhere. But Cleveland definitely has it because people will come to Cleveland and they'll say, oh, well, the river's not on fire. And like, you can't buy a house for the price of a VCR, right? Like, this is not what I was expecting. But like, Cleveland has done a great job. It's come up. There's really cool areas. There's rough parts. There's rough parts in every city. But there's a lot of city. Yeah, yeah, it's everywhere. And there's rough spots in every business. I promise you, no matter how great a business looks, there are rough spots in that business. And so I see this a lot. They're like, well, I just, you know, my competitor's doing so great. They're crushing it and I'm having trouble, blah, blah. I'm like, you see what they put out. That's you don't right. see the struggle. Yeah. 
You don't yeah, see it. I mean, I'm in marketing. I know that. I mean, I know some of the people that are putting out the stuff and I know what their struggles are. No, hundred percent. In one of my networks, they've been doing this whole, there's been a lot of discussion about like, what are the couples you look up to? What are the couples that, you know, that you see as successful? And my wife and I have been brought up a few times, a lot of other couples that are in there. And one of the, you know, there's always trolls, right? And so one of the people that was on there was like, oh, the ones that look happy on social media are generally the worst ones, you know? That's ridiculous too. <laughs> And I'm sure it happens. I'm sure there are people that are not happy, but they're putting on a happy face. But like my wife and I, we love each other. Like, I mean, we're best friends. We're in business together. We've been doing business together since like 2006. Yeah, it's crazy. But there's so many people that I talk to and they're like, oh, there's no way I could do it. There's no way I could do that. You know, and I'm like, you could, but like you can't be in each other's lanes. It's the same thing with partnerships. If any of these listeners are in there, you're in a partnership that's really tough for you. Like, Stop what you're doing right now, sit down, define where you want to go, let your partner or your partners do the same, define where you want to go, let's define the vision, let's build the path. Where are we at? Like, what's my lane? What's your lane? What are we sharing? I prefer not to share anything, but like, if you have to, it is what it is, but find your lane and then stay in it. Like trust the partner that you went into business with to do their lane, let them do it. And then have regular meetings where you say, Hey, this is what I did. Where are you at? Let's make sure that our vision is the same. It's the same thing with relationships. You have to be on the same page. You have to give each other space. You have to get, stay in your lane. Right. And then like, for me, my big thing, and my wife and I agreed to this, we just renewed our vows in Hawaii recently, but one of the things we said, yeah, yeah. Great trip. Just an excuse to go to Hawaii. But we said, I'm always going to focus on you you first, and then she focuses on me first. So I take care of her needs, and I trust that she's going to take care of my needs. And as long as we stay in that mentality, we're always going to be good because nobody's going to look out for me as well as she looks out for me. And nobody's going to look out for her. So beautiful. That's so good. And my assumption is that there's things about being in partnership with your spouse that are easier because you love each other, but there's also things that are probably more difficult because you love each other. So, you know, but I think you're right. At any partnership, there has to be communication, integrity, and commitment. And you can work on those things, but they also have to be part of who you are and what you're going into with, right? 100%. I love what you said. Communication is literally everything. Having that communication with your spouse, with your partner, with your friends, with your network, like having good communication will solve 99% of problems. So many of us, we get frustrated because we don't understand something and we don't ask the right questions. comes back to how we started. Like, what are the things that you do for your clients? Like we communicate, they tell me what their problems are. And then I explain those problems. If I started working with a client and I said, all right, let's get into it. Like, what do you need help with? Nothing. I'm good. Okay. Well, (laughs) see you later. Thanks for paying me. (laughs) Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. You know, well, why did you call me? I mean, just to chat, like, I just need you to put your magic on this company and make me successful. Okay, well, let's solve the problems. Like, what are the problems? I don't have any. Everything's good. Everything's great. Everything's golden. Have you ever had anyone do that? 
Yeah, like we have, we've had a few that that kind of start that way. And so it's funny, we ask these questions to kind of build up. And one of the questions is, what is your level of confidence in your financial statements? This is the one that changes all the time. So if somebody goes through this process with us, I don't want to give them the answer because generally they'll be like, okay, that's a trick one. And it's not a trick question, but it's good to see it. And so we'll say, what's your confidence level? One to 10, what's your confidence level in your financial statements? And it generally is seven to, I've seen tens, but like generally seven to nine is where everybody falls. And so we say, okay, all right, well, then we start asking questions. You know, what's your cash flow look like? Well, what do you mean? What's your, the ins and outs? Like, you know, what, what is your cash? I don't know. And that's generally where I get the, I just check the bank. If I got money there, I'm good. You know, okay, well. That's not confidence, <laughs> you know? And so it's funny, we go like we go from this six, seven, eight, sometimes nine. And when it's all said and done, it generally lands in the two, three, maybe four level, right? Yeah. And then we follow up, like when we do these things, okay. Like, you know, and a lot of times we'll take those over. Sometimes we work with a person that does it, but we follow up later. What's your confidence? And the number is usually smaller than what they started with but it's significantly better than where we ended on the first, you know, first phone call or session or whatever. They say, Oh, I'm like a four or five. Okay, cool. Like we're making improvements. We're getting there. And so we do, it's not necessarily, they say everything's great, but they're hesitant to give those problems away. And they think that there's like a secret sauce. Marketing is the same way, right? Like we all think I'm going to throw some money and then you're going to throw a bunch of bunch more money back at me. And they don't realize that like, and there's sets. So like SEO is one of those that I had to have explained to me. I'm like, okay, what is this? Why am I spending money? It's your right. long-term plan, right? What do you mean long-term? Like, this is how you build a brand. This is how you build awareness. This is how you build up a customer base over time. Well, like, so, but I need customers now. Like I got bills. <laughs> I need customers now, right? Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> that's another level of marketing. We got to do, it's multifaceted. We can't focus on everything, right, at once, but we can do pieces, like we got to do a little this, we got to do a little this, and that's the same thing. You know, when we work with clients, you know, everything's great. Okay, cool. Like, well, we don't need to be here, and and we're good. Like, let's go grab lunch. But they'll realize there's different things that they need, and it's a process. And for clients, if people aren't at three mil, or they're not even at a million, you know, understand, like, what gets you to one level doesn't necessarily get you to the next. So if you work hard and you get to a million, what got you to a million doesn't get you to 3 million. And what gets you to three doesn't get you to 10. But like, if you put in the effort and you're constantly learning, you're constantly training, you're reaching out to your network, you're getting other people to involve themselves in your life, you're going to find that out. And you're going to find that you can scale. And that's a big piece. We look at where they're at, and then we show them what they need to make it to the next piece. And it's funny. I hear this a lot. Guys will say when they're in the three, the 10, the 20, 30, whatever. I hear this a lot. And I, I don't necessarily disagree with it. I don't agree with it either. I'll say, oh man, the first million was easy. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Super easy. Now 10 million. Now that was hard. That was hard. And I'm like, okay. So you're right now you're between three and 10, right? And they're like, we, yeah, yeah. How'd you know that? Because that's what's hard. Like what you're in right now, that's what's hard. What you've already done seems easy. It's, it's what it. you're in the middle. Yeah, because <laughs> you've done it. Yeah, of course. It makes sense to you, right? And so it's always funny to me. And like, and I remember it. The first business I had that hit that, it was a big pinnacle. I thought it was huge. 
First time I actually had a million dollars in my bank account. That was a huge day. And celebrate those 100%. Those are great things to have. I think those are huge milestones. But once you've done it once, you can do it again. So if you are worried about what you've built, if you're in a business right now and you're, you know, a couple hundred thousand or even a million or even a couple of million, like don't stop taking risks because there is some truth to that statement. If you've made it to a million before and you take a risk and you drop below, I promise you getting back to that is going to be significantly easier than the first time you did it. And so don't stop taking risks in your business. You have to take risks in your business. That's just part of it. We're risk takers. We're entrepreneurs. That's what we do. I don't want people to freak out and say, oh, well, if I got here, I'll never get here again. You will. If you've made it once, you'll do it again. And if you continue to take smart risks and you continue to do like educate yourself, find out more, get yourself involved. If something does happen, you drop below, you'll get back there very quickly and you will continue to grow. But as soon as you get fearful and you won't take action and you start to like, I got to hold it all in. I got to make sure nothing breaks out of my business. Yeah, you know, you'll lose them. Same thing with employees. If you're so scared to lose an employee, you probably need to lose that employee. You know, I totally agree. Yeah. Now that you've given us such great advice. I do want to comment on a couple different things. The first one is you have a giveaway and we're linking to that in the show notes and it's called the what if plan. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we had a lot of people that were asking us like, hey, how do I even get started? You know, or I'm considering a partnership. What do I need to do? Or how do I create equity? So a lot of these questions that for people that have been in business a long time probably seem pretty normal. They've gone through it, but they forgot that it was really tough to learn these things when you didn't know, don't know what you don't know. Right. And so we created this what if plan that takes you from, hey, I'm thinking about starting a business to the exit plan. So there's a lot of great information in there. It's a little bit more broad, like it's not super detailed on every single step, but right. it definitely is the the plan to go from, I think I want a business to, I think I'm ready to sell this business and retire. And it gives you some really actionable steps, things of that nature that you can do. Talks about partnerships, talks about equity, talks about distribution. So as you become a bigger company and you have partners, you need to look at distributions, who owns what, and how does that transpire? How does that, if something were to happen and somebody wants to get out or God forbid, somebody has a death, how does that affect the business? So we go over all those things in the what if plan. So it's just a great outlet for information on business. That's wonderful. And it's at the whatifplan.com. And we will definitely link to that in the show notes. Now, I want to ask you, this is just fascinating to me. So you have certification in the crypto, NFT and metaverse space. So were you just super intrigued by that? Or was it a business decision or both? I just find it really interesting, Wanda, kind of pull that thread for a minute. Yeah, no, of course. I'm just, I'm a huge nerd. And it's always fascinated me. And the more that I learned about it, I wanted to know more. And so you don't know what you don't know. And so I started finding out information on this. And then I started getting questions, you know, because I was in the space and I understood it and I was a CPA who would say, hey, how do I deal with these taxes? Like, how do I deal with this crypto? And I would say, well, I'm not really an expert in that arena, but I think this. And so I kept having people come back. And they're like, hey, you're as close to an expert as I'm going to get, right? (laughs) So because like people knew so little about this. And so I said, well, let me, if people are going to ask me for advice, I better know what I'm talking about. So I started researching it. I went to seminars. I spent a lot of time. And so I went through a process to get certified in crypto. So I'm crypto tax certified, which seems crazy, but it relates to the metaverse and NFTs. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, I have a healthy understanding. I represent some DAOs, so some coins, things of that nature. But yeah, it really comes from just the fact that I'm a huge dork and I enjoy that stuff. And I think it's fascinating. I do think it will be one of the major currencies moving forward. I think as we move away from cash, I think crypto is going to take the place of cash for the most part, but it'll be credit and crypto. So knowing that, I like to try to be ahead of any trend. It's a wild, wild west environment, but it's fascinating to see what's out there. So Yeah, it is. That's great. So we have one of the first experts in crypto tax with us today. You've been such a wonderful and generous guest with our audience today and talking about how you're helping people keep more money to create the lives that they want, impacting small businesses. So I want to turn the tables on you and ask you, what does it mean for you to prosper? And so for me, it would be affecting a large number of people and getting to a place where I can stand behind projects or businesses or causes that I truly believe in and then help them to monetize that, right? And so I think I'm involved in the charities and they depend on people's ability to give. So you can only do so much good as people are willing to give. So I would love to be in a space where I can help people to monetize what they're doing so that it's essentially self-funded so that there is no essential barrier to as much good as we can do. Because I do think everybody should have some charitable aspect to everything that they do. I think that's huge. I think it's the biggest return you'll ever get. I promise you, if you're involved in a charity and you're doing a lot of good for a lot of people and you're helping a lot of people, it feels way better than a Lambo in the garage. I promise you. So being able to find that nice mix of being able to essentially self-fund so that we can do the most good and then being able to support people are looking to create a business, but also to create a charitable aspect to that business so that they're not just donating a little bit of money here and there. They're actually doing things that affect the world and affect the people that they care about. So to me, that would be the level of prosperity that I would love to be at. Basically that angel investor, but with a charitable aspect to it. That to me is the pinnacle. I love that. What a great answer. Very inspiring. I really appreciate your time today. Byron Wolf with CF. OAF.com. And we will have a link to his website and his generous free offer to our audience in the show notes. Byron, thanks so much for sharing your time and your mind with us today. I love being on there. I had a great time. I appreciate it. And yeah, I just had a great time. Thank you. Thank you. Me too. Take good care. And we'll see you next week back on the Prosper Project. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Prosper Project. If you want to grow a peerless, profitable brand, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you find value in our show, please help us reach others by sharing an episode and leaving a review. In appreciation, please visit prosperforpurpose.com for more free resources to help you grow your business.